we deal both in the passive gear and the active gear. So the way I like to have you think about this is if you used your cell phone today, if you got on the internet or if you watched television, you were running over Comscope equipment somewhere. So it's pretty cool. We connect people. The term information superhighway was coined in the 90s, but it is still a useful phrase even in 2020. Never before has the internet been more accessible or more needed than it is today. But even with technological advances such as connected devices in most homes and accessible network connections in many cities and towns, there still remains almost a third of households in the United States that don't have access to the internet. Morgan Kirk is the CTO of Comscope, a company you've probably never heard of, but one that more than likely powers the internet lines that run to your home. Morgan joined IT visionaries to discuss the growing digital divide across the country, how information superhighways actually work, and why some types of data lines that power your internet connection are on the way out. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome, everyone, to IT Visionaries. Today, we have Morgan Kirk, CTO at Comscope, joining us live from North Carolina, just like me. Morgan, welcome to the show. I am excited, probably as excited, if not more so than you, because I don't get to do that many podcasts. All right. Well, we've already started talking a little bit for the audience to know. Morgan's a gregarious guy. He does like Star Trek. Yep. It comes right down to my name. You, you can't avoid it. I, I have a first name that's a captain and a last name that's a captain. So Captain Morgan, I'm a drunk, or Captain Kirk, I'm a, a futurist. So uh, there you go. It's uh, it's all in the blood. There you go. Listen, I like the fact that you already referenced Captain Morgan as you're the drunk, because now I feel good, because I'm like, yeah, now, I'm, now we're in line. Okay? okay, that's good to hear. So the first thing I want to do is tell us about Comscope, and I'm going to, of course, ask a little bit more about what the fact that you're HQ'd in Hickory, North Carolina, of all places, it's a very small town. Comscope, tell us about it. Okay, fantastic. So Comscope is a a communications company, a communication equipment supplier. We deal in everything from the uh, core of the network to the access layer of the network to the edge of the network. We deal both in the passive gear and the active gear. So the way I like to, to, to have you think about this is if you used your cell phone today, if you got on the internet or if you watched television, you were running over Comscope equipment somewhere. So it's pretty cool. We connect people. And um, as to why we're located in Hickory, North Carolina. Or how? <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> well, why and how, yeah. It's actually, uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, reason. We were founded there because that was actually the center of where optical cable was made. And in fact, communication equipment cable was originally all done there. So you had all the spinoffs. It's the reason that Corning, another big supplier of optical cable, was in, was in Hickory. It just happened to be the location where this stuff was done. And the company has grown out of this physical layer history, making 75 ohm cable for the cable TV industry to be this you know, $8 to $10 billion telecommunications company. So it's, uh, it's an interesting success story for, uh, for a small town in North Carolina. So I love what you guys do. And here's the reason why, right? Because no matter what application someone has out there, some wild concocted idea. I'll give you an example. Just earlier today in our pre-production meeting, people were talking about, we need to talk more about IoT, IoT. What's cool about IoT right now, we're in this product called Pulse QA. It's like a network or a community of CIOs. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, tell me what's cool about, what, what are they talking about in IoT? Mm-hmm. And I said, back to our teams, like, well, it's not that interesting because everyone wants to talk about network and connectivity because Without network and connectivity, IoT is useless, okay? So, yep. <laughs> which is hilarious because my executive producer was sitting there. We got Aaron sitting there on the other line, and he's talking about how his computer's starting to freeze because it can't handle, like, you know, the amount of bandwidth the meat is taking. So talk, yep. to, talk to me. For the people that don't think about network, yep. why is network so complicated? Why is it that there are certain places where, you know, Silicon Valley is one of them, where for whatever yep. reason, they, they can't figure out why. You know, I, I feel like I know why, but I'd love to hear your perspective. 
it's not as fast as you think it would be. Yeah, sure. So, you know, um, wow. Networks started years and years ago, but the internet started with uh, ARPNET from the U.S. government and expanded out with the formation of Ethernet and, and really running to what we have today. And it, it's neither ubiquitous nor um, the same everywhere. So there are a variety of different infrastructures that you have to make your network. You could have starting with a, uh, a traditional cable TV internet, which uh, has media go over uh, coaxial cable and then over fiber and, and go to some sort of centralized location, a head end or a data center where it gets converted and kind of mixed up with the rest of the data that comes out. You have other bearer services like fiber going to your home or DSL going to your home. And these have uh, disadvantages and advantages with speed in the case of fiber. Or you have wireless, your, your cell phone, which is now the dominant term of how people connect to the internet is based on wireless, whether it is over Wi-Fi or whether it is over, over traditional cellular. All of these various protocols have uh, various limitations that are based on capacity in various spots in the network. And so you might be very slow because you have an older technology like DSL, which is limited right at the edge. Or you might be particularly slow because of something that's causing a constriction in the network at a data center somewhere. So it really depends on what's going on and how the network is, is being, uh, being optimized at a particular point in time to determine the speeds, the latencies that are going on. So in your role, mm -hmm. you know, Comscope, you mentioned that you touch a lot of different products in the world of networking connectivity. You know, we saw that you recently acquired or the company recently acquired Aris. So that's actually like the, literally the wireless modem in my house. Right. You got it. Yeah. Yep. So the wireless router in my house. Right. Yep. All the way to like the heavy infrastructure. You mentioned lines in the ground, uh, you know, at the actual data centers that these computers are all then reconnecting and bumping off to each other. I'm sure you make the connection equipment there as well. Yep. Yep. So how do you as a single human have enough knowledge to, to guide the CT, to have to run the CT of every product line? Every product line is yep, yep. rolling up to you. Yep. How did you acquire this kind of knowledge? And, uh, or do you even know what your guys are making? Yeah. So I, I hope I know what, what we're making. So I, I, um, well, I've, I've been around for, for a while, I guess from a, from an educational background, you know, I have an undergraduate and a master's in engineering, which helps me understand a baseline of what's going on in the world, but I've run most of the businesses at Comscope. So I've individually driven the strategies behind it, but as CTO, the way I kind of get not only get, but keep all the knowledge of this straight is really thinking about the architectures that have to go on in these networks. So uh, you don't have to know every line of code to make a network operate properly, just like you don't have to know how a specific cable is constructed to make that portion of the network. But understanding how the networks are being architected and what's likely to come in the future helps you drive where things go. So Right now, we are in the midst of the biggest network transformation probably since the beginning of a lot of these networks. And all of the networks, whether you're moving from 4G to 5G or you're, whether you're moving, that's in the wireless industry, whether you're moving from DOCSIS 3.1 to 4.0, that's in the cable TV industry, or whether you are going to PON, it's in the fiber methodology, so the telco industry, or even Wi-Fi versus cellular. In all of these, the, the architectures are kind of converging. They're all becoming far more like each other than they are being different and discrete. And I'll explain it two different ways. The reason that, that these networks are changing is because they have to drive down an equation that I call the efficiency equation, which is the cost per bit per area. That's what everybody's trying to drive. Everybody's trying to get data to everywhere, connecting every point of data to everywhere. So that's the area component of it. And then it's the cost per bit. So how much does it cost to move a bit across this to get to wherever you need to go? And when you do this, when you say that that's the overriding governing equation that needs to, to work in these networks, what you find is the network architectures start looking very, very similar. So whether it's the DOCSIS network or the PON network or the wireless network, what you're seeing is a great deal of virtualization going on. And virtualization is taking place moving Equipment that used to be on, on very specific equipment. We used to design very specific chips to do these types of things to, to general purpose hardware, to essentially Intel style hardware in the forms of servers and switches. So we're moving all of this from one thing to another, which really improves efficiency as we've seen in the data center space. As you move to sort of hyperscale data centers and putting lots and lots and lots of these servers together, 
and then virtualizing on top of it so that you can turn up and turn down servers very, very quickly to improve efficiency. We're seeing this across all of these networks happen simultaneously. Yeah. When you talk about on the technical side of this, you also have Wi-Fi and cellular, and for that matter, Doxis, all moving very closely together in terms of the methodology they use for transporting this equipment because there's the most efficient ways of moving this. Uh, it's called OFDM, but it's the most efficient way of doing this, whether it is over a piece of cable or whether it is over the air or whether it is on licensed spectrum, unlicensed spectrum, all these things really look the same. And so you ask me, how do I get to know all these things? Well, the reality is it's actually not that different. That's awesome. When you hear from customers, or I don't know if you ever get to meet with customers. A lot. Yeah, every day. <laughs> do they care about what you're saying? Or do they just say, hey, I want to move bits of data over bigger periods, bigger distances faster because I'm doing ping tests in the nanoseconds and yeah. I want to make sure I get my pings back right away. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> no packet loss, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so they do care. They care about the architecture because ultimately they're not just technology people. They're actually trying to make money in your architecture that you choose determines how you will spend your money and ultimately how you'll get a return on that money. So although they have that goal of making a, uh, a cheaper connection or a lower latency connection, so that's, that's actually latency is starting to become much more important than speed these days. They care a great deal about the architecture because that then informs them on what they have to do to their network. So I don't just stay at the architecture level. I do go below that with, the, with, with customers. They want to say, okay, you have this architecture. That's great. How do we get there? What equipment do we need to buy? that sort of stuff. But it really, um, they care about both. It's great to hear because the reason why I ask you these questions, Morgan, just so you have a frame of reference, a lot of the people that come on the show, and they're great guests, they're usually at the software, let's say consumer product or enterprise software layer. Network speed, connectivity, uptime, it's typically taken for granted. They are right, they're literally writing products and applications with the assumption that this is blazing fast and always will be and will have no fallacies. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. faults, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So like, it's something that is, I understand, takes a Herculean effort of physical products. Like literally, like I always joke with our team members, like, what is the internet? It's a bunch of lines in the dirt. Like it's not, this is yeah. not. No, not no, you're, you're, you're right. In the end, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so I like hearing from your perspective, like the challenges, the interest the customers have, the people that support these networks, because it is, it is often taken for granted. And when someone sits at their computer and says, hey, my software application doesn't work. Yeah. Sometimes it's software. It could be potentially just the network. It's not moving enough information back and forth. It's funny, um, the way networks, and I can help consumers, they'll, they'll really, they'll really uh, um, understand this. Today, you have a, you have a laptop. Uh, do you know how fast that laptop processor is? Not really. Not a clue. <laughs> and I, I don't either, by the way. And nor, nor should we care at this point. But 10 or 15 years ago, that was the only way you bought a machine. Today, we've moved from laptop speeds to how much memory they have in them, but more importantly, how long their battery life lasts. That's probably the most important thing is my laptop can run all day, or I have an iPad that can run all, all day, or what, whatever you're working on is. That's the type of terribly important information, and a lot of the, the speeds and feeds, we like to call them, are taken for granted. And I think something's going on in networking that, that people should be aware of. So. Networks have been getting faster and faster for a very long time. And as you said, many consumer devices just assume that the network will be fast enough. So we talk about whether it's 5G or whether it's the latest version of Doxis for your home internet or PON or whatever it is, we talk about, hey, I got to get to gigabit speed or, or multi-gigabit speed. But what's really going to drive the applications of the future, I believe, is actually um, a parameter called latency. And to explain to people what latency is, it's the amount of delay, the lag that you think that's going on. So if you can imagine your television set, you probably had early on and you'd have an action sequence and something would go across the screen very quickly and the screen would kind of lag around that thing that was moving very quickly. That's a demonstration of, of latency. Or you're on a video call now and you speak and then it takes a certain amount of time for that thing to happen. That's the lag time, the latency. So networks are really trying to optimize this. And the reason I think that's so important is to come up with some of these really, really cool innovations that are going to happen. The applications that we are going to just be jazzed about is going to require much more latency sensitive networks because we work in a real time environment and latency really is stopping us from being in real time. So things like virtual reality and virtual augmentation and doing that collectively amongst people that are separated by 
long distances is not the speed, it's the latency that's going to really make a difference. And that's something which I think you're going to hear more and more about as you move forward. So one of the interesting factoids that you guys have, or Comscope has on its website, I did a little homework to make sure everything's accurate here, but it's estimated that a third of US homes don't have access to high-speed internet. And this is further becoming, I would say network connectivity is now, it's like water. It's very difficult to operate, let's say, in a modern world without access to this. If you think about homeschooling, yep. the dependencies for high-speed internet, everything's being done via virtualized web conference, Zoom, Google Meet, whatever, whatever tool you're using. How or does Comscope have a role to play in ensuring that every house gets connected? Yep. Like, is it your role? Is it not your role? Whose role is it? What do you think is the government's role? Like, I, I'd be curious to know, like, yep. I would say it doesn't feel like if you were a parent and you had a child and your home doesn't have connectivity, it seems like it's going to be a massive problem to advance in today's society. I think you're absolutely right. And, and I, I like the way you phrase it. It's another utility. It would be almost unthinkable that you wouldn't have electricity in your house. Yeah. And almost unthinkable that you wouldn't have plumbing in your house for water and waste. Yep. And uh, similarly, I think internet access is, is growing to that. We actually did surveys a couple of years ago now. Where do you rank uh, internet access in your home? It fell below, only below electricity. And the thesis on this was, and well above, you know, a kitchen. Like, don't care about a kitchen, get internet access. Yeah. And I think the reason why electricity fell above that is, uh, is that without electricity, you really can't do anything and you can't plug in your devices and your devices run out of power and then there's no point in having internet connectivity, which brings me to the way that you can, of course, torture your children if you ever want. Don't deny them the internet, deny them their chargers. <laughs> have you ever seen a kid try to figure out how much time they have left in their battery in their cell phone? Yeah. It's absolutely remarkable. <laughs> yeah, I got, I, I got three of them. We try to ration their devices, but they're always like, they definitely want them. Yeah. Hold on to their chargers. Don't, don't try to ration the internet. Hold on to their chargers and you'll, you'll have a much greater success at this. But you're right. So, the, so what do you do about the, what we call the digital divide, okay, which is this area which does not have high-speed internet. High-speed internet right now is considered to be 25 uh, megabit connection. So not particularly fast, but still decent connectivity. And in a lot of places, you simply don't have that. And there are a couple of ways that you get this. The, the issue is really one of economics. So when you have less density, you still need to physically install a lot of media or physically install things to, to get connectivity. And that makes the economics challenging for customers. So there are a couple of ways that this is being solved. The first thing is that the government does have a role to play and they have, uh, they have something which they're, they're planning on passing now, which is called RDOF which is to a rural development fund of, I think it's up to $20 billion to try to bring internet to more rural areas in, in the United States. And lots of countries are doing this type of thing. And that could be for traditional telcos and, and MSOs, the cable companies, to physically run media to more people's houses. So that's one way that this problem could be solved. Subsidized by the government to put in this big expense because it's not the operational cost, it's the cost of actually putting a cable to your house when you're two miles away from somebody else's house. That's one way that can be solved. Another way that it can be, and we provide lots and lots of equipment to doing that. So we're always trying to figure out how do we make equipment be installed easier, uh, use less labor, um, break less often, you know, all the normal things that you do if you were a company in this space. The second way that this can be solved is to try to put wireless as that last bearer to reduce the cost because now you don't have to physically connect these two spots. So you could take some of the CBRS auctions that just happened a couple of months ago and use those frequencies to put up more base stations that could drive signals into people's homes. That's another way that, that they're doing it in the rural area. And of course, we provide uh, lots of equipment to the, to the wireless industry for this. The third way, which, is, uh, which Comscope doesn't have a lot of exposure to, but, but uh, you've also probably heard about, is the launching of some of the satellites for, for some of these areas. These are LEO satellites. That's low Earth orbit satellites. They're quite close to the ground. From a satellite's perspective. Like how close? Uh, I don't remember what the... Visible to the human eye from the ground? Well, I don't know that you'd be able to see a single one, but you would notice a constellation of them, and they're going to be 10,000 of them in the sky. Wow. And certainly with a telescope, you would be able to see them. But they're not, they're not like uh, at 10,000 feet. This is at hundreds of thousands of feet. So, uh, but these satellites are whipping around. They're not in geosynchronous orbit. So they're whipping around the Earth 
they're spinning around the earth at a, at a rate that's faster than the earth's spinning. And so there are lots of problems with how do you connect to one satellite when it's moving at, I don't know how many thousands of miles an hour across the sky. Yeah. But these are problems that are being worked. And the advantage of that is, you know, 10,000 satellites will cover the entire northern hemisphere of the earth and provide real coverage to a variety of people. Now, there's a capacity problem that goes with this, but that will provide coverage as well. And we believe at Comscope that all of these types of solutions will be used to deliver the lowest cost per bit per area based on whether you're over, you know, uh, pig farms out in the um, west to being over more rural areas in Maine or, or Massachusetts or Vermont, because there are different population densities in both of those areas. So you have multiple interesting factors our society is changing. We started talking about, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about access to the internet. We're talking about this big divide that's going to start creating unless we can solve this problem, getting more kids and households connected online. There's another thing that's happening right now, which is this idea of like uh, the broadband rush hour. Mm-hmm. I was reading some factoids that it used to be only four hours. Like there was four hours of peak demand ne- needed per household uh, pre-COVID, but post-COVID it's now 18 hours. Basically for 18 hours, a house is just consuming bandwidth. Now, this is obviously a huge change in a very short period of time. You couldn't see this coming. So we know that networks around the country or world are, are being stressed to the max. Yeah. So how are these going to be solved? Because you, you can virtualize a lot of things, but you can't virtual like <laughs> It's going to be hard to do. Yeah, you're right. And what's even funnier is that the networks were all built. All networks were built based on downlink. Right. So on you receiving information from the network. You think of the traditional cable TV network. You were originally, the only thing you received over that network was video. And it was one-way video. Now you have internet going in two ways, but there's a lot more capacity dedicated to receiving information than transmitting information. Yet most of what has gone on in COVID or a lot of what's gone during COVID was all of a sudden video calls for everything. Now this is a podcast, but even on a podcast, I'm actually looking at you. That's right. So we're having a more intimate, we can have a discussion. And so we're seeing this an awful lot that the stress on the network is not just on the downlink, it's even more acute in the uplink in most of the networks. The signal's going back. Our ability to talk to each other becomes far more symmetric than in the past. And so really it is network upgrades across the board. We got lucky. There was some spare capacity in the network and the networks creaked and groaned, but in most places didn't break. And since the kickoff of COVID, we have been working with our customers to massively improve all sorts of the networks where they we're creaking, but not breaking. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a testimony to the resilience of a network that it could actually handle this type of a massive change. Because remember, the networks at home got a huge amount of additional needs, but the networks of the office now are virtually idle. Yeah. We just had this enormous shift that went on. I almost say it's like the great uh, toilet paper rush of the year, right? You had plenty of toilet paper. It was all sitting in the bathroom at work. <laughs> Nobody had it at home. It's the same sort of thing. We had plenty of capacity. It was just sitting at work. It wasn't sitting at home. And that was really maxed out. But improving, you know, splitting various portions of your network, improving where the network capacity actually went, how it was allocated, were all things that were done in the near term. And then continuing to build out the network with better technology and, and faster technology and and other techniques that were available, but it hadn't been made ubiquitous with other ways the network has really improved for the last six or eight months. So one of the big restrictions of network, like we've already talked about, is the actual digging of lines, standing up of cell, cell towers, uh, sending satellites yeah. to space. Like that's a huge cost. We already know it. Like in certain places, let's go back to Silicon Valley, Palo Alto, like getting a permit to dig a line, it's going to take like an act of God. Like you're not going to, you're not going to get a permit to dig a line for a year, right? <laughs> you say that, but I've always used uh, something from, from my childhood, which is PBS. If you want to build a network, you need PBS. What's that? P stands for power. Yeah. B stands for backhaul. So you got to get power out at a site. You got to get backhaul. In other words, you need to connect it to something. Yep. And then you've got to get site acquisition. S, power of backhaul and site acquisition. That's what you fundamentally need. And the hardest thing on this is actually the site acquisition. So like when you think of like the future role, right? Comscope, you're, the next 10 years yep. for you is not really changing in regards that you're going to constantly be looking for ways to figure out how to make the network faster and with bigger capacity, but you're going to have constraints along the way. Meaning like you probably can't get a new line between my house and let's say wherever you know, my telco is, right? That line stays. It doesn't change. It only has so much bandwidth to begin with. You can't make it bigger. 
You can't run a new line to me. Well, that's actually, that's actually the, the, you can't make it bigger is not necessarily true. So if you look, uh, let me explain. So you had uh, originally for your home, you might've had a telephone line in. This is a, a single twisted pair of telephone line that came in. And although you may, or the viewers or listeners may not quite know this, the original lines carried 300 baud. That's not three kilobaud. That's not three megabaud. This is 300 baud. Those were the first modems to run over those lines. Uh, I remember, and there was only one place to use over the internet. You could call your library. <laughs> That's how old I am. Okay. Yes, I'm exactly 51 years old. And the first thing I did was I hooked up a modem and called my library and thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I was Okay. But over time, modems got better. The modulation, they stuck on it. They never replaced the cable, but they got better. And you got all the way up to, you know, 64, 128 kilobit modems that could run in that sort of a fashion. And then they figured out how to do DSL and ADSL. And so these now, these lines are running well, in the downlink, you can run 25 megabit over these lines. These, these are the same lines that you used to originally just do your telephone calls. So you can get more pipes. The same thing happened in cable TV. So in cable TV, if you have a cable TV in your house, you have a modem. You said you have, you have an Eris modem in your, in your one, a Comscope modem now in your, uh, in your home. That modem has been upgraded over time from a Doxis. 1.0 modem to Doxus 2.0 modem to a 3.0. You may even have a 3.1 modem. And the amount of carrying capacity that you have in that modem now is orders of magnitude more than was before. So that required you to have a different modem in your house, but also to have a bunch of stuff done in your network, but never to replace that cable. So lots of things that we can do before we replace the cable to improve the network capacity and in fact, latency. So that's why I wanted to get what those driving towards is, do you see a point where you can't get any more out of the cable because like you just mentioned, it's easier. It's, you know, you can change the modem. I agree. Yep. You can change the network infrastructure or the, the equipment at my telco, yep. but that line in between my, my house and the telco is hard to replace. Yep. So when I hear all these IOT applications, right, where people are talking about how your fridge is going to be able to order from Amazon. And I'm thinking to myself, my, my house already struggles when my kids are streaming and I'm streaming. Like now I'm thinking about, you know, is every device in my house talking to something else in the cloud somewhere else at all times? Now my, but my line doesn't change. It's just going to cause a bigger strain on, let's say the products and services that I actually want to work better. Like right now, Zoom, I want Zoom to work better for me right now. And when this call ends and I watch sports tonight, I'm going to want that to work better. I don't really care that my fridge is talking. So, so everyone wants you to, your, your system, your network to handle more data. And so it feels like there's going to reach a point where you just can't get any more data to flow through this line, but I don't know. Yeah, so, so, no, so, you're, so you're exactly right. There is a point with various technologies. So we probably have reached it for DSL. So DSL, there are other things that you can do, but you're, you're really on the diminishing return. So if you just have a telephone line running into your house, uh, that, prob- that technology is pretty much on the way out. Okay, so that's reached the end of its lifespan. Uh-oh. <laughs> so the next technology that we should talk about is, is coaxial cable. And coaxial cable still has, a, 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 I think, a good, good run, at least another decade, maybe two, because uh, the, the techniques that are being used today run basically a gigabit over that line for you. So you can get gigabit service to your home. And we believe we can expand that to get to 10 gigabit, maybe a little bit more, but right now it's only planned to get to 10 gigabit. However, once you need beyond 10 gigabit, maybe that'll be the end of its life. Maybe not. Maybe we'll figure out something else we can do. But 10 gigabit is, if you think about a a video call like this, a video call like this, if you did a high resolution, you're talking about 10 megabit. So that's like a thousand times more. Yeah. So you still have a long way to go in this. All right. So a thousand Zoom calls at once concurrently at my house. Exactly. So, well, if you had gigabit service, you, you may not be paying for a gigabit. You may be cheap and you know, be doing less. And I just encourage you to use more. I want you to use more. We sell more stuff. <laughs> so, uh, but, and, and then ultimately, and then, then another type of upgrade you could do is, is wireless. Wireless doesn't involve wires at all. And it's constantly getting to higher and higher speeds. You now have, you're now breaking with, with 5G, you're now getting the possibility of gigabit service to your house, house through 5G as well. And as more spectrum becomes available, you get higher data rates there. For physical media, ultimately, um, there is fiber. And with fiber, there is, I won't say unlimited speed, but it's, there's so many different ways that you can improve the, the way you, you carry capacity in fiber 
let's just say for my lifetime, there is no limit. There it is. But in terms of what you need, a cable is good. A wireless connection is good. DSL, maybe not. And that's part of the problem. The digital divide is that a lot of places only have DSL. So we're talking about at-home shifts. We're talking about societal shifts, potentially government shifts that have to start providing as a utility. How about when you sit at Comscope and you're guiding a team, how do you guys view where to invest your time and energy? Because you just kind of named a ton of opportunity. And I know that you have a lot of resource, a lot of team members that can work on a lot of different things. Yep. How do you prioritize? Or do you kind of just build teams to allow them to think independently, autonomously to solve the problems that are at hand? So I, I think uh, there's a term that we have that you hear in North Carolina a lot. I'm from the Northeast. I'm, I'm going to call it BOFM. <laughs> clarify for everybody. Clarify for everybody. <laughs> Which is a short word of saying both of them. <laughs> so I want BOFM. I want profit and I want growth. I want BOFM. So you just asked, you know, what do you want? Do you want an overriding uh, something that everybody works together on to, to optimize for, for everything? Or do you want to optimize um, locally for a particular technology or technique? I want both of them. So I'll give you an example. You, we, we have multiple seg sectors and segments that deal with various types of market opportunities. So we deal specifically with Wi-Fi and with switches and with... Uh, cellular base stations and antennas. We deal with twisted pair cabling and, and coaxial cabling and fiber cabling. And so we have all these things that are going on. We deal with the DOCSIS system, the PON networks, the wireless networks. So we do all of these things. And we try to look at them individually and improve upon them individually. But at the same time, we look at these trends like virtualization and what I call cloudification. And those things go run across every one of these technologies. And so we join all of these things for, let's say, our virtualization efforts, whether you're working in a DOCSIS network or your PON network or a Wi-Fi network or cellular network, how do you make virtualization be the same? Or how do you make the cloud be the same or a big area of analytics? How do you get the network to be smart about itself? You don't have to create it three or four times for each one of these networks. They all are going to act about the same. You make one analytics platform that is able to get information from the network and then run it through a, uh, a data lake and figure out what the answer will be for a problem that's in the network. So it can self-heal or for when you have to add capacity to the network or when you have to improve efficiency in the network or other things like that. So we definitely get both of them, a focus as well as an overriding uh, and arching uh, architectures. From your perspective, one of the other things that a lot of CTOs, CIOs we talk to on this show, they talk about is the challenge to recruit. So getting people you know, to come to you, to work for you, to do all the things that Comscope needs. I was wondering what it's like for you recruiting because I feel like you know, when it comes to developing software, I feel like if I said, hey, I'm developing a photo filtering app that plays songs, I feel like there's going to be a lot of kids that are interested in that. But are a lot of kids or a lot of new workers interested in learning networking, what you're up to? Yeah. Please don't hate me. I feel like it's not as sexy. I feel like it's not as talked about, but, you know, I don't know. Are kids, are people learning this? No, I, I think you're right. It, yeah, so it's, it's, it's probably not as top of mind because it's not consumer oriented. So for sure, that that's, uh, challenges. I use, a, I think, a pretty good line in recruiting people. If you imagine in all of humanity, what has created the most economic benefit in the history of humanity? And then you ask what has reduced the chances of, of war as well as the ability to create additional economic value. There is exactly one industry and that's the telecommunications industry. It's not even close. You couldn't have Uber without it. You couldn't have Apple without it. You couldn't have any of these things if, if this industry didn't exist. They're, they're that dependent upon telecommunications. So, if you have a higher mission, I mean, we can all go and build bombs somewhere. That's, that's something that you can do. But if you have a higher mission, is there anything greater than bringing people closer together? And I would submit to you, no, there isn't. Now, your right isn't as sexy, and some areas are harder to recruit for. There's a um, portion of our business that deals with RF, radio frequency. And that is a hard thing to, to recruit. It happens to be where my background came from, my educational background. It's hard to get people interested in it. It feels like a lot of magic. It, it's not like coding. It's, it's sort of certain things happen and you kind of know the basic principles. We, don't, we still today don't understand all the principles behind it. And, uh, and you design kind of with 
sometimes with best guesses. Uh, <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but that's the way you, you, you do a lot of this. So it's, um, it's hard to recruit in certain areas. It's competitive in other areas. So in, um, I'll call it somewhere in between hardware and software, the FPGA world, field programmable gate array world, there is a tremendous amount of competition and it's easier to go to get people to work for name brands or household brands than it might be to, to, to go to Comscope. And then there's software, not applications, but doing the same coding, just not writing that filtering application where it's much easier to get people to do this. And I think what we have to do and what we generally do is, is show them that what you're doing is, is actually not just exciting, but something that is physically there for long periods of time. So and if you've ever built something, I mean, manufactured something yeah. and seen it work, there is a, an amount of not just excitement, but of pride that you, you don't get in a lot of industries. And so we use a lot of things like that to help recruiting as well. No, that makes sense. I built an app once and it, I sold it and it, um, it doesn't exist anymore. So <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> it's kind of a bummer. I remember the first time I was like, they said, we're killing it. I'm like, oh, dang, that. It's kind of a bummer. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it doesn't feel great. And I, I look at some of the things which I, when I was a design engineer, designed, and there are still parts of this that are around in networks today. And this is 20 years ago. That is amazing. You touched on it lightly, but I do want to re- go back to it. You talked about like the fact that because internet connectivity and network is so dependent, it's also, let's say, an attack point, an entry point, cyber warfare. Where do you see Comscope's role in protecting the network from outside invasion? Is it part of it? Is it someone else's problem? Like I, I feel like you guys ha- handle so many products from the from the every endpoint. It seems like you're going to play a role or be asked to play a bigger role in this. Yeah. So I think I think everybody plays a role in this. You know, security is is critical. Um, probably more critical than it's ever been because of what you just said. Just try to go on vacation and not use the internet for a week and you go through withdrawal. And now imagine if you actually have to work or maybe you do. And when the internet goes down, how you feel. And now imagine if that happened to the entire country, we'd kind of wander around not knowing what to do, staring up at the sun. So that's sort of the worst case scenario that you could imagine, a cyber attack that effectively takes down significant portions of networks. So I think it's everybody's responsibility. Oh yeah. When you're hitting on that, like I think about just trend, I don't think people understand, like no one carries currency anymore. People don't really know how to add or can produce change anymore. Or like all of our systems are digitized. Like even I was literally at an amusement park once when the power went down and I tried to buy a sandwich and they said they couldn't sell it to me. I was like, why? I was like, I have cash. And they're like, no. I was like, well, well, our ordering system won't be able to account for the fact that there's this much beef coming off the line. It's, I mean, or even a pre-made like cold sandwich, like, you know, a roast beef sandwich, you know, I have to keep count of this. It's like, well, write it down on a piece of paper. They're like, damn it. It's all systematized. I'm I'm, I'm absolutely with you. It's really, it's, it's, uh, um, the fear when I was growing up was that people couldn't add and subtract, and so we weren't allowed to use a calculator. And I believe that fear has come, come true, not for me, uh, but you're exactly right. You go to a convenience store and you hand them cash, and if that register told them to return $20 and you gave them a $5 bill, they'd return $20 because there's no thought in what's going on for, for, for a large portion of the population. And so we're very dependent upon that. So security becomes incredibly important. In the software that we do that's in the network, we are very conscious of this. We, in fact, operate uh, something that's called a PKI center, which this effectively gives, gives rights to the software. So when software is compiled and put out there, how do you know that that software is legitimate software and should go onto your network, should go onto your CPE device, go onto your modem? How do you know when, when you get new software that that was software that came from Comscope and didn't come from some nefarious source. And so there are all sorts of techniques that, that use that, that are called signing it. So there is some codes that go on where the network and the device decide that the code that is now going to be loaded is actually legitimate code from a legitimate source. So that's one way that we help with, with network security, but it's also with respect to your code as well to make sure that there aren't um, places that that other people can get into. And I liken it to a house. The network, the the internet is very similar to your house in that it has doors and it has windows. And if you leave those things open, people will get in and do bad things. 
but also your house is part of the rest of society and you can take a chainsaw and cut a hole in your house. And we have to be able to defend against the doors and the windows as well as the chainsaws just cutting holes. And um, we work on all of these things depending on where they are in the network as I think everybody does. And I, I tell everybody, you know, we can do all sorts of things, but the biggest hole you'll ever house, have in your house is people coming in. Yep. The people that you welcome in and that's your employees and they can do nefarious things as well. And so we have to work very hard to make sure that we, we test our software, that we don't make mistakes. And it's not intentional in most cases. It's actually unintentional that things get into your code. And so we work to do those sorts of things as well. But it's, it's, a, it's an incredibly important topic that we all in the industry, and for that matter, consumers as well, have to, uh, have to be cognizant of to try to keep the internet a, a safer place than it would be without it. No, that makes total sense. It just has to be, right? It has to be everyone's responsibility because this, look, society's not going back. We're not going back to not having nope. this. It's never going to happen. <laughs> it, it's only going to get more. Yeah. And the other alternative is like, oh, well, well, we need closed network systems like China has. It's like, well, that doesn't sound, that doesn't seem right either. Like you don't want to, <laughs> but even then it's even a closed network is not secured. Even with a closed network, it's not really closed. As soon as two people have it, you have an open network. It just means it's between less people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we know the power of, of networks is based on the more people you have together. The more people you connect, the more devices you connect, the more power you have. We, we were talking earlier about IoT and how critical that's going to be in the future. And IoT just means that we're, we're connecting more devices than we are people. Networks, to a large extent, have been trying to connect a device that's really attached to a person to operate. But tomorrow, devices are attached to cameras, are attached to all sorts of sensors, like you can't believe, to give you additional information so that you don't have to decide that you're going to order milk some sensor is going to determine your milk has gone bad and you're going to order and have milk delivered and replaced in your house before you knew that the milk was actually bad. Yeah. And that's just a minor thing that will go on, but it'll just be expected everywhere. What about high data solutions that are probably on our horizon? So I think about, so I remember going to two cities specifically, London and in Singapore, the amount of surveillance that was happening at all times was quite significant. Yeah. I can see more cities going down this path because they want eyes on the streets for yeah. for whatever reason, public safety. Let's just you know, some people yep. can say Big Brother, sure, but yep. then you yep. can see like we have more demand, let's say, for law enforcement officers to have to have cameras, right? But we know that they can't physically store enough data, so that it has to be probably transmitted over cloud yep. or uh, you know wireless, so that there's some storage. Yep, there's a lot of heavy data applications that are probably that are they're just coming. They're coming. I totally agree. And actually, everything that's coming is really coming in the form of video. Yeah. So there are a couple of ways that networks are dealing with it. So let's start with one that you, uh, you haven't mentioned, but we'll start with, with, uh, with cars. Yep. So cars, particularly electric cars, are generating huge amounts of data because they're taking pictures of everything. And automatic cars, automatic, automatically driven cars, are going to generate terabytes of data. Okay. So what they're using for a lot of this data collection, which would allow mapping, which would allow improvement, is they're doing off hour or time shifting of data. So you describe the 18 hours of peak data in your house. Yep. After you're asleep, you don't really care whether your car transmits data in those hours when, when no one is doing anything. And so you can take this data that's, that's latency insensitive. In other words, it doesn't care when it gets back to the servers. It can be shifted in time. So that's one way that it's being dealt with. Another way and used cameras on street corners that, that can be done is you could create higher speed connectivity. You could put fiber to all of these cameras. You could have the total capacity of your network increased, or you could do something called edge compute. You could do processing at the edge. A lot of time, these cameras are taking pictures of things that aren't changing. So you could use compression algorithms or analysis algorithms that says, if it doesn't change, don't send. Okay, that, that type of a thing could go on. So that's another way that you could- Like an empty corner. There's no need to send me the empty corner. Yeah, an empty corner is still an empty corner. It, <laughs> it, the, the camera looks at it and says, it's all white. What do you want me to tell you? Take one bit, call it white, and now multiply it a thousand times. You know, that sort of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And when, when something enters into the screen, begin recording. If event not present, kill. You know, like something like that. Exactly. Those, those types of techniques can be used as well. And the network gets beefed up, uh, up as well. But I think what you nailed is, and it, it's not just in cities. Look around your house. 
you have ring cameras. You have two-way video cameras for your computers now. You have cameras on every handheld device you have, whether it's a pad or a phone. You have cameras that are, if they aren't there already, they're coming to your television soon. <laughs> so you're gonna have cameras, you have security cameras everywhere. So you have, you have all these cameras. The key is, it's, I call it almost the democratization of data. We used to consume data in the downlink. We used to have one person make a movie, and now give it to the masses, give it yep. to the billions on the earth. Distributed. Now with YouTube and TikTok and other things, we have billions creating data and like eight people watching most of it. And I don't mean the same eight people. I mean, I, I'm sure your kids go and play soccer or do things like that. And I'm sure at times you record that. And I'm sure that your <laughs> parents probably, and um, maybe your wife might see it if you were recording it, but that's it. And so we have this huge amount of uplink data that's increasing. And that's really where the networks are going to strain and, and how we have to build out networks in the future is this recording of data. And it's not just visible data. Think of heat data. Think of infrared and far infrared data. We're going to collect lots and lots of information about what's going on to help us do a better job from all sorts of cameras, if you will, uh, displayed everywhere. They can tell things by, by a picture or a thermal camera, I can tell things about not just temperature, but about how your grass is doing and whether you need to water it, how the cement out in the front of your house is reacting and whether you're gonna have a problem three years from now with your cement cracking. So you can measure all sorts of things, but it requires video far more than it ever has in the past. And that's going to drive data in the upland. All right. So it sounds like you're going to be busy for the next 10 years. Is that, is that accurate? <laughs> I don't think I will have a problem with my chosen career for a while. And, and I think it's incredibly exciting. What we're going to go through is, is, a, is a transformation like something we have never seen before. It's the industrial revolution on steroids. Couldn't agree more. And you're at the forefront. You got it. It's very exciting to be here at Comscope. There you go. All right. Now it's time. We're coming to the end of our interview, which means we have to close with the lightning round. The lightning round is where you get to answer a few questions about yourself as fast as possible. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. All right, Morgan, you aged yourself before, but now I got to know, what is the make and model of your first cell phone? Um, it was a Motorola Dynatac bag phone. It was a bag phone. You got it. How much did that cost? Uh, I got it through work because I was working at Motorola at the time. I think it was 3000 bucks, but I never bought it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, as I was thinking, the retail price was 3000 Just for inflation, it's probably fifteen grand today or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and it was the size of you know your lunchbox. I mean, it was huge. <laughs> Did you feel cool walking around with it? Um, no, but I felt very cool talking about it in the car. I really never walked around with that one. Uh, it would sit in my car and, and on my way to and from work, I would be able to talk on the phone. Awesome. What is your favorite book or a book you would highly recommend? Um, so it depends on the age, but I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you a, a, a work of fiction because, um, I think it really kind of helps you think about the, uh, the future. And I, I would say it's, um, it is uh, Isaac Asimov's um, robotics series. Um, and in this, in this uh, series, and, and I'm going to get the names wrong, so I'm not going to give them to you, but it's a three, three books. Uh, and it, it describes a world with a lot more robots in it and how people are going to interact in the future. And I think it's, it was written, I don't know exactly when it was written, but it's, it's incredibly uh, foretelling of what our future may look like. And it gets to the point where people are not comfortable being around other people because they're so comfortable being about, around robots. I hope we don't make it there, but uh, I found it very, uh, very useful in how I view the world. So Isaac Asinoff, fantastic author. I'll have to check that out. I've seen those. I've seen his books. Or I've just never picked one up. Again, the entertainment. I talked about it at the beginning. Like I'm somehow <laughs> very bad at entertaining myself, but I'll have to check that one out. If you weren't in the telco networking space... What do you think you'd be doing? Uh, I'd love to say it would be something really cool like surfing, but it wouldn't. Um, I probably would have gone into um, designing satellites, something like that. Oh. Uh, that probably would have been my secondary spot um, if it hadn't been tele strictly telecommunications. I, I always thought that leaving Earth or at least 
understanding there's more than earth was, was something that I'd be, be interested in. So that's probably where I'd gone. I would have gone. No, that's awesome. I think I read somewhere, um, some makeup company right now is investing a ton of money in having some influencers take photos in space. And they're talking about like, what, what, have, we, what have we done to ourselves? <laughs> I don't I really don't know. But, but if you remember what Elon Musk's uh, car is now passing Mars. So, uh, you know, yeah. who knows where we're going? <laughs> All right. Last question. What advice do you, would you have for someone who's being announced or named for the first time as CTO of a company? Listen more than you talk. Listen more than you talk. You heard it here first. You, you, there are so many smart people out there that really know so much. Your job as CTO is to listen to all of them and help steer this great group of really smart people. And uh, if you think you know it all, you're guaranteed to be wrong. So, so listen first. Perfect. Morgan. I want to thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. You were, yeah, you were very, your personality was big. It was a pleasure talking with you. Your ability to foresee the future or your inputs on the future and like your opinions on it. Fascinating stuff. I have one more question for you. We'll probably cut it, but I think it's kind of funny and fun. Sure. So have we confirmed that 5G, does, it, does 5G cause coronavirus or has that been debunked yet? <laughs> <laughs> Because no, I can conclusively, I can conclusively say that 5G has absolutely nothing to do with coronavirus. All right, because I saw this blog by this guy, this guy on the internet. He told me, (laughs) and 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 we should believe everything we read on the internet. Uh, That's another thing I would advise that CTO uh, new in his job is don't believe everything you read on the internet. (laughs) There you go, Morgan. It was awesome having you on the show. A lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. Until next time, everybody. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.